Good evening, everybody. <laughs> I call you blessed. I'm so gr grateful that you're able to be here with us tonight. I'm going to have a special uh, evening of Bible study. It's going to be pretty powerful. And uh, thank you for uh, being here. And all of you online, thank you as well for uh, checking in, being a part of this service. Uh, hi, Mom. Good to see you. Well, good to see you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Uh, praise God. I got a couple. We're going to start out with some worship, but I got a couple of announcements that I want to share, and then we'll just get right into the evening. Does that sound all right? All right. Good deal. Just, just, it just hit me. All right. This is some. Oh, this is an old school, old fashioned church thing. What? It's called a popcorn testimony service. Anybody ever been to a popcorn testimony service? And, but there's only five kernels of popcorn. Popcorn testimony service means that real quick, five people stand up and give a very quick testimony, like popcorn popping. So five, five people. Let me just say, uh, anybody, just jump up and give a testimony. The butter's sizzling. Butter sizzling. Nobody has a testimony. What a dead church. Thank you. Okay. All right. Here, I'm going to come down. I'm going to come to you. I'll hold the microphone. Popcorn short. Under my bed uh, for about 20 years was a book I wrote for children. And it was, I tried to get it published. It was too big, too colorful. No, no, no. So I just kept it under my bed, and my daughter took it out and shrank the pages and put it on Amazon for me, and it's coming out. Wow. It's for kids. That's awesome. Good. Awesome. Finally a book that Michael can understand. No, I'm just... All right, who else? Popcorn, popcorn. I need four more kernels of popcorn. This is a dead church. There are no testimonies here. So, those cameraman, don't worry too much about me. So, about four weeks ago, at the store I work at, we have sewing machines. Some are light and pretty, and some are heavy and old and really kind of scary. And so, I dropped one on my hand, not intentionally, you know. But so, it smashed my hand, two fingers in particular, rings destroyed, had to be cut. One had to be cut off. Wow. The other one, it totally destroyed the setting. And, but I believe that those rings saved my fingers. So the very next customer that came in the store after that happened said, you know, let me see what you can do with your hand. And long story short, they said, you know, you're doing what you need to do. You're taping it. You're isolating it. You have ice. If you went to the hospital, they would x-ray it. Yeah. And whether or not it was broken, right. they would tape it, elevate it, yeah. do ice. So looky. Wow. Praise God. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Amen. Anybody else? Apparently she has a testimony. You're over here smiling and waving your hand at somebody. I was just trying to get you to do Nelson. <laughs> so you want to tell Nelson's story? No, I'm just okay. blessed to be here tonight. So uh, that's a good testimony. All right. Very good. You got, you got a testimony? All right. Very good. All right. Anybody else? All right. I'm going to carry on. Just felt like doing that. All right, a couple of announcements. This Saturday night at 6 o'clock, 
We are having a night of worship to celebrate 10 years of Ignite South Africa, of mission work in South Africa. It's called, uh, I think it's called what, 10 Years of Hope, Night of Hope. Hope the night doesn't last for 10 years. That's not it. <laughs> That's not it either. Night of worship, and so it's going to be a powerful time. And, and June Blanchin, who is our missionary to uh, Ignite South Africa, actually got saved here, grew up here, was sent out through Resurrection Life Church. And, uh, of course, she is uh, actually unable to go back to South Africa right now because of the COVID thing and unable to do a lot of the other things that she would normally do this time of year and decided that because it's a 10-year anniversary, how cool it would be to hear testimonies and stories uh, and such for the work that uh, is happening there. And I know there's some of you that actually support her ministry, and so that's going to be Saturday night at 6 o'clock. So uh, we, everyone's invited. Come on out if you, if you want to and have a, have a night of worship, and I understand there'll be some preaching and some testimonies and so forth. And then Sunday, the 13th, back to church. Amen. Amen. I know. I, I even stuttered a little bit when I said back to church, but uh, it is our opportunity to, to once again begin to open up the facility, open up some of the church uh, ministries uh, that, that we uh, normally have. And, uh, and I've been talking about it every morning at 714, for those of you who've been listening to that. And so that'll, we have two services, one at 9 o'clock and the other at 11 o'clock. There is no child care at the 9 o'clock service, and our children's ministry will only be during the second service at 11 o'clock. There will be some cafe for the first service and a little bit cafe after the uh, cafe service, after the second service, and I think we got all that uh, nailed down and worked out and, and so forth and so on, and, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. Uh, we got worship in both services, and we're only going to be live streaming. For those of you that are live streaming right now, we're only going to be live streaming the second service, so that'll be at 11 o'clock. And what else? Did I say our children's ministry will be back as well? So good deal. Uh, my last announcement is after service, since I've got a, a lot of gentlemen here tonight, I need some help uh, moving some chairs and moving some tables and setting up a few things as we begin to kind of transfer the set up, reset up the cafe and set up the new overflow area. And so if some of you could stick around for just a few minutes after church uh, to help us quickly move stuff. You know the old saying, a big job is small work with many hands. And so we could probably have it done in less than 30 minutes if we all uh, pitch in and kind of move some things around. Can you say amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's get into some worship, and then we'll uh, break open the Word and see what God has for us tonight, all right? Father, we give you honor and glory. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. And oh, my word, thank you for your forgiveness, that you take our sins and throw them into the sea of forgetfulness and, and remove them as far as the east is from the west, you remove them from you so that we can walk in the righteousness of God because of Christ Jesus. And so, Jesus, we come to worship you tonight. We come to exalt you. We come to love on you. We come to hear from you. I pray, Father, that you will open, <clears throat> open our ears to hear absolutely everything 
that you would want us to hear, whether that's in a corporate sense or whether it's in an individual sense. Reveal to us what you want us to hear tonight. Open our minds, God, to be able to understand and comprehend everything that's taking place tonight. And Lord, open our hearts. By your great Holy Spirit, do these three things, our ears, our minds, and our hearts. Open our hearts to receive absolutely everything that you have for us tonight. Lord, on my part, and maybe I, I believe I'll speak for everybody, we choose not to leave anything behind tonight. We come to get our daily bread from you. You know what we need more than we know what we need. And so we'll come and dine and we'll step up to the table of the Lord and receive whatever you have for us. For we know, Lord, that you've said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we thank you for that. And we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, stand, stand with me and let's, uh, let's worship the Lord for a minute.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're the only one who can. There's none like you, Lord. None like you, Lord. None like you, Lord. We praise your holy name tonight. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Praise God. Well, if you're not uncomfortable with it, don't sit up. If you're not uncomfortable with it, find at least one person and give them a fist bump or a high five. If you are uncomfortable with it, that's okay. It's all right. If you're not uncomfortable with it, there you go. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Bill. Love it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. You got it, man. Here we go. All righty then. Shall we uh, dig into the Word for a few minutes? All right. Praise God. Uh, tonight, uh, again, in our series, for however long it lasts, maybe even until the end of time, <laughs> preparing for the Lord's coming, because my goodness, we could uh, not exhaust that particular idea if it was preached every single service we got together. But tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist. And so I, sh I will have a different subject for you, pretty much a different subject every week that we get together. And so uh, let's, get, let's get into it, shall we? <clears throat> the, the Lord wrote the book of Revelation and all of Scripture so that we could know the signs of his return. He does not want his children left ignorant to the things that are going to happen. He doesn't want his children left ignorant about the things of the Spirit. He wants us to, to know these things. There's really nothing in the Bible that we cannot understand. Now, we may not be able to because of our certain level of maturity in the Lord, but there's nothing in here that he says, well, I'm going to hide everything. There, I'm going to hide some stuff from them. They're just never, ever going to know. Now, I know that there's uh, probably some stuff we're going to find out when we get to heaven where some of us are probably going to kick ourselves for at least a, a day or two trying to go, well, I can't believe I didn't know that or didn't do that or whatever. But uh, Scripture helps us understand the signs of the times, and especially the signs of the times as it relates to the days that we're living in. And if you're not watching the signs of the times, you need to wake up because this is very important that the people of God do watch the signs of the times and, be, and, and are able to correlate them to Scripture. That's important. Otherwise, you just look like an end times doomsdayer, you know, and we're not that. So we've been studying end times, and one of the things that will happen in the last days, of course, is going to be the rise of the Antichrist. We've all heard about the Antichrist. He also might be called the Anti-Messiah because that's really what Christ is. Christ stands for the anointed one or Messiah. So we just use the phrase antichrist, but it could be the anti-anointed one. Not anointed by God, of course, but anointed by Satan. The interesting thing about <clears throat> even that part of it is, is that everything that Satan does is a, an anti to what God does, is a counterfeit to what God does. God 
uh, sent Jesus Christ, who was God incarnated, fully anointed with all the power of God. Satan will have an incarnate son known as the anti-Messiah, the antichrist, who will be endowed with all the power of Satan. It's just an anti-Messiah. So we've all heard about that, but I wonder how many of us have known that the, the Antichrist is spoken of many times throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We think of the Antichrist as simply a New Testament subject. So we're going to look tonight at the prophecies of both the Old and the New Testament and see what it shares with us about when the Antichrist arises, okay? Now we need to understand that this is not some religious fairy tale. This is not end times folklore. This is really going to happen. It is absolutely going to happen. Uh, I know that people have been prophesying this for eons. It's going to happen in your lifetime. Okay? If it doesn't happen in your lifetime, I will be deeply surprised, but it will happen in my kid's lifetime. You know what I'm saying? So that means that we are we we got to be prepared. I want to be prepared not only to meet the Lord when he comes should it be in my lifetime, but I want to make sure that my daughters are fully prepared and all my grandchildren are fully prepared should it be in their lifetime. So remember that when it talks about that this generation shall not pass away until all these things come to pass, that's actually talking about every one of us in whatever generation that we're in believing with all of our heart I'm the generation that's going to see the coming of the Lord and living like it's going to be in your lifetime. Not, well, it's hundreds of years, thousands of years maybe from now. It'll be after I die. Do you know what a deception that is of, the, of Satan to put that kind of mentality in the hearts of Christians? Oh, it'll be after I die, and that way I can wait till later to get things right. I can wait till later to serve God, uh, excuse me, there is no later. There is no later. So the world, uh, if, unless you've just been, you know, had your head in the sand, uh, you know that the world is facing all kinds of struggles and all kinds of troubles and all kinds of problems today that no one seems to be able to fix. No one seems to be able to fix it. Let me help you with something. President Trump can't fix it. Okay. The other guy who's not going to be president can't fix it. <laughs> Uncle Sam, if you're watching, I didn't mention his name, so whatever. So. Uh, no, no one. It, it appears that no one can fix. Everyone in this room would agree that it, it appears that all the issues and the problems that are throughout the globe right now and in America are unfixable. And some of us may even say, it's, it's not just a new, uh, it's not just a COVID season, but it's going to be a pandemic lifetime from here on out, okay? Um, so we're going to face, and, and we should all be aware of this, we're going to face even more severe uh, challenges than we've faced thus far. And you need to believe that is true as well. So in the midst of the chaos... In the midst of the global epidemic of disease, the global epidemic of unrest, the global epidemic of trouble, believe it or not, there is a somebody who is going to rise up with unbelievable charisma, unbelievable so-called 
well, anti-anointing. Again, not anointed from God, but anointed by Satan, so much so that he's going to be able to deceive and trick people that are absolutely desperate for something to believe in, desperate for an answer. In fact, the Bible says that he'll deceive, if possible, even the very elect, even the very elect. He's going to deceive a whole oodle of so-called Christians, but if possible, even the very elect. Hmm. I don't know that there's any one of us in the room that would go, oh, well, I'm on the very elect list. We'd all like to be, we all like to think that we're on the very elect list, right? Uh, We'll know that when the Lord says so, right? So it may be hard for us to imagine, maybe it's hard for us to envision that one person, one single individual could take over the entire world. It is almost unfathomable to wrap our heads around the idea that one person is going to become a dominant world ruler, but it's going to happen. And why do I believe that? Because the Bible says it's going to happen. Currently, the world's being ripped apart. It's not just America. It's everywhere. The, the world's being ripped apart. It's probably ripping on, on us. It's probably ripping on us more because many of us never thought this would come home to visit us. It's something we see about in the news somewhere else, but not at home. And the things that have uh, held our society together over the past, they're collapsing. Those things, those standards, those moral absolutes, those things that have been a part of the mainstay is over, okay? Andy Griffith now really is just a rerun. That's all I can say. You know, Gomer Pyle really is just a rerun now. Those days. I have to watch Andy Griffith and Gomer Pyle just to feel like there's some sense of sanity in the world. (laughs) Uh, What do we got? The economy is potentially on the verge of collapse. Um, Morality has already crumbled, that's already crumbled to dust. Everything seems to be falling apart. It's just, it's just crazy. Everything's coming apart at the seams. I know that that's not good news, but there really isn't a whole lot of end-time study that is shouting material. There is some, and here's one. We win in the end, amen? So there is some good stuff to celebrate, but the path to get there isn't so peachy. So in the midst of all this chaos, there's going to arise an antichrist, an anti-messiah. And if ever in my lifetime have I seen the stage set for someone to show up on the horizon with all the answers, with the answer to peace, with the answer to disease, with, the, with all the answers, we're, we are there, ladies and gentlemen. We are there. So turn your Bibles with me, please, to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. Now keep in mind, and I want to constantly keep you um, aware of this, the, there's one primary authority on end times. Who is it? Jesus is the one primary authority on end times. I'm going to trust his words over every other word. The beauty is, is that you can read any other scripture on end times and you'll see a connection to what the other authors in the Bible are saying to what Jesus had to say. 
I said that again because I just want you to keep that light on in your mind. As you read things, as we read things in other passages of Scripture, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's just almost exactly what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 24. So Daniel chapter 8, and I am reading from the New American Standard Bible tonight. It won't read a lot different other than maybe if you're reading you know, the Message Bible or something like that. Um, Daniel chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 23 through 25, and the primary topic of discussion is tonight is when will the Antichrist rise? When will the Antichrist rise? Verse 23, in the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. Remember I said he's anointed by Satan. He gets his power from Satan. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men, and get this, and the holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. And he will magnify himself in his heart, and he will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes. But he will be, I love this, this this is some good news here. He will be broken without human agency. Okay? He doesn't get his power uh, on his own. He gets it from Satan. But he's going to be broken, destroyed, not by human agency. It's going to be by God agency is the one who's going to destroy this person. So it says when the transgressors have run their course. One translation says when transgression has fully matured. When transgression, when sin has reached its full measure. I don't know. I would hate to think that there's more measure to go than what we're seeing today in terms of transgression and sin in the land. But the first sign of the coming of this Antichrist will be when sin has reached its full measure. When transgression has reached full maturity, then he's going to come. Insolent and skilled in intrigue. Well, I went, okay, you know, let's look up this word intrigue. Intrigue talks about um, uh, uh, appeal through fascination. He's going to be very charismatic. I mean, People are going to think he's the most charismatic person they've ever seen. Even looking back through history, they're going to go, even John F. Kennedy was not as charismatic as this dude. I mean, anyone you want to pick who you might think was a charismatic, charismatic world leader, okay? I mean, none of us want to think about something positive about Adolf Hitler, but he was so charismatic and passionate And he led with such fascination because of that time period that he was in. You know, Germany had just gotten through uh, World War II. They had no sense of identity. They were in complete economic collapse because of everything that they had lost. And along comes this young guy by the name of Adolf Hitler who was so charismatic. And we're going to get our identity back. And we're great. And we're going to win. I mean, everybody ran after him. And, And believe me, a lot of Christians thought he was probably the Antichrist. Same spirit, just wrong time. 
because God's got a timing on everything. So he's going to be insolent and skilled in intrigue or in fascination and imagination. And it goes on, he'll destroy to an extraordinary, extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. We're going to see in Scripture that he wages war on the saints of God and destroys many. And through his shrewdness, and I went ahead and looked that word up too because it's not a word that we just use every day in our vocabulary, but it, it's talking about he's just very wise. He, has, he seems to have very wise judgment about things. People are going to listen to the things that he has to say, and they're going to go, oh man, why didn't anybody ever say that before? Why didn't anybody ever think of that before? Well, of course, that's the answer. Here's the problem. Many believers are going to absolutely be duped by this guy. Absolutely believe. In fact, they're going to believe he is the Messiah. They're going to run after him. And he will cause, here it is, now this goes all the way back to the garden. He will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. Now remember, he's anointed by Satan. Remember, he doesn't get his power on his own. He gets his power from his father, Satan. And he is going, and he'll cause deceit to succeed. Let's talk about that for a minute. How, my ring just broke, honey. I've got to take it off because it's bothering me. Oh, never mind. It just snapped back into place. I'm sorry. Little things can distract my attention. Some of you don't know that, but maybe others absolutely know that. <laughs> uh, so how does deceit succeed when people don't know that it's deceit? That's how deceit succeeds when people don't know that it's deceit. Do you know how many Christians across the globe right now are not being taught what you're being taught right now? That is no credit. That's no credit to me, y'all. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. There are churches today that are just going through the regular motions of their regular motions of, of having church and are not in hardcore boot camp preparation for the coming of the Lord. And there's going to be so many people, even believers, even entire churches. Entire churches are already being deceived. Okay? Deceived by the spirit of homosexuality. United Methodist Church has, has split down the middle. When they had their conference in 2018 or 2019, it was a 52% vote to not go the way of homosexuality and the LGBTQ. In other words, 40% of their pastors voted for it to be a part of their religious philosophy. And today, they are in the process of legal separation to separate from. Listen, the deceit is already there. I'm, I'm like, I'm, 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 how can you read scripture and, not, and go that direction? I mean, how? Deceit. He, the Satan is the ultimate seducer. And what is seduction? Seduction is very akin to that, that man who's trying to seduce a woman. And she doesn't even know that she's been seduced until she wakes up in the morning next to the guy. She doesn't even know that seduction was happening. 
until she has already been taken down that path. Or vice versa, maybe the woman's a seducer, whatever. I'm not trying to make that a sexist thing. What's my point? Satan seduces in that very same way. Those that are being seduced don't know it's deceit. They don't even know they're being seduced until one day the door is closed and they're unable to make it into heaven. Actually, it won't wait that long. They'll see the Lord coming in the clouds and all the earth will mourn. They'll know then that they've missed the boat on this deal. Society needs somebody who's going to restore order. People are looking for an answer. Even those who look like they're in a mass chaos and violence, honestly, they're looking for an answer. They're looking for some specific order, not order as we might think it be, because trust me, Adolf Hitler's order was not an order that we would consider in any way, shape, or manner. Are you following me? So everyone's going to gravitate to this person because he's going to promise peace, he's going to promise safety, he's going to promise prosperity, and the only way that people will go after those things if, is, if there's no peace, there's no prosperity, and there's no safety. Hello today. Oh, well, okay, we got peace, prosperity, and safety here in Gratiot County. But how long will it take before this comes to visit us in the cornfield, y'all? Let's not put our heads in the proverbial field. So in the midst of this neediness, in the midst of this desperation, the Antichrist will rise promising a solution. And he's going to be so charismatic, and he's going to be anointed by the devil. So he's going to, he's going to be, he will by all sense of the word seem supernatural. Because we know he's going to perform signs and wonders. And people are going to go, that's God. And run after it. So he's going to look like he has the ability. He's going to look like he has the intelligence. He's going to look like he has the power to do all this, to find all the answers. But it's just a deceptive ploy. That's all it is, a deceptive ploy, a plan of darkness the same plan that Satan has had since creation to destroy man and thus destroy the earth. That's his plan. So let's go back to the very beginning. Of that's how, that was at verse 25. He'll cause deceit to succeed. That's gonna be his, it's been his ploy since the garden. I'll, I will come and I'll just twist God's stuff just enough to make them think that it's actually God's stuff and I will circumvent the plan of God and destroy mankind. What he didn't take into consideration was that God already had a plan of redemption in place, amen, <laughs> to save man. So let's look at that part in verse 23 where it says, when transgression has run its course. Because before the Antichrist can show up, I didn't say reveal himself as the Antichrist. That's going to happen three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation period, okay? But he's going to show up three and a half years earlier than that, according to Scripture, and, he, and that's a time of peace and prosperity and safety and healthfulness. That's what that first three and a half years is all about. So he'll show up on the scene, okay, and then at the three and a half year mark, abomination of desolation, at some point there, he will reveal himself for who he really is, 
but people are deceived. So the, what has to happen before he can even show up on the scene, and this is why I'm adamant about this, because I don't know how much further sin can grow. Sin is so transgression, oh my gosh, transgression and sin right now in our, in our land throughout the globe if it hasn't run its full course yet, I hate to think what full course is going to look like. See, the Antichrist cannot show up on the horizon, on the scene, until sin has reached full maturity. But what does that mean? The king is going to arise when transgression has reached its full measure. Why does the Antichrist arise when sin has matured? Because people's conscience will at that time have been seared because they will no longer even know what is wrong and what is right. People will become so desensitized to sin and wrongdoing, so used to violating God's moral absolutes that they won't even be able to tell the difference between right and wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that's not 100% so far in our land, but it is so close to 100% so far in our land that it's mind-blowing. We are on the threshold. I cannot believe that we're not on the threshold. And if, and if we're not on the threshold, oh my God, how much farther can sin go? Because the Antichrist will not, based on Scripture, will not rise until sin has reached its full maturity. Transgression has run its full course. Okay? So in this moral climate that I'm talking about, the Antichrist is going to be able to rise because people will not see him for who he really is. It may have worked in a previous generation, years ago, 20 years ago, people would have, oh no, well 20 years ago we didn't even believe we'd have internet like we got today. Okay, I was just talking to Deanna today and I came, came to work here for the first time in 1995. I don't even remember when the computer was made, but we had seven inch floppy disk. And I remember Pastor Randy said, I give you a month, just sit in your office and learn the computer. Took me two weeks to find the on switch. I mean, I'd never even seen, <laughs> never even seen one before. That's 95, 30 years ago, whatever it is at this time, 25 years ago, only 25 years ago. So 25 years ago, we wouldn't have imagined any of this as possibilities. Another generation, this could have never been so, but this generation is a completely different story. Our current cultural climate and our current societal norms, honestly, they cannot discern right from wrong. That's the season, that's the generation that we're in, that people are, they, they've lost, they've become clueless. So much so that even the scripture that says they're going to call what is wrong right and what is right wrong, that's a loss of a discerning of what is right and wrong when you're going to call what is sin godly and what is godly wrong. That's the society we live in today, y'all. Why am I this adamant? I, I'm trying to help you see how close we are to the Antichrist showing up on the scene. And I'm serious about it. I'm serious about it. I sat with a bunch of pastors yesterday. They were talking about what they're going to do with the churches, and I mean, I love these guys so much. 
And there was talk about how we have to learn the language of the current generation, and we have to learn the language of the current culture. And I was vexed. I felt, I think I said to Diane or somebody today who asked me how my meeting went yesterday, I said it felt like a piece of, a piece of a puzzle from the wrong box. And I just, eventually they always asked me if I got something to say, and I was praying that they would not ask me if I had something to say. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, and I said, you know what? We've tried all that. We've spent our try time trying to learn how to be culturally relevant. And as far as I'm concerned, the truth is what will set people free. And that people are no longer looking for a, an enjoyable church service. They're looking for the truth and the power of God. And for too long, we've been a church that's watered down the truth and has been devoid of power. And I said what I had to say, and they all still hugged me, praise God. But, oh dear, where am I at? Got off on a bunny trail. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, this generation doesn't even know right and wrong culture of today doesn't know. Do you realize that in America alone, we've killed 58 million babies? America alone has murdered 58 million babies. Do you know that the leader of the left wing, the leaders of the left wing, including the guy currently running for that side of the aisle, has voted that abortion is okay right up to the eighth month. And that in fact, if the baby is accidentally born, that it could be killed. All right, now I'm sorry, but, and forgive me, those of you who may be, uh, I don't know, maybe you're, I'm not here to speak against Democrats, please forgive me, I'm not here to offend. But if you can vote for that because you're a Democrat, You're deceived. You're deceived. 58 million babies. Marketing immorality like it's entertainment today. You can see the vilest of all pornography, so probably stuff that many of you would think, what? At the push of a button, at any age. Pedophilia, did you know this, is now becoming normalized in society. There's actually been votes for laws to be changed, I believe, in the state of California to lower the penalties of those who assault children. How can it be? How can it be? Because sin is running its full course, y'all. How can it be? People's moral compass is seared right now. They don't even know what's right, and they don't even know what's wrong. Or it's so seared that they believe that what is wrong is actually right. And if anybody like me or you stands up to tell the truth, we're haters and we're bigots and we're judgmental and let's do away with them. So, when will the Antichrist show up? 
when transgression has run its full course. Can you understand now just with the few things that I've just said why I would stand up here and say, I can't even, I can't fathom what more maturity sin has to have. I can't, blow my mind. So, let's leave Daniel 8 now and let's look at a New Testament counterpart to that passage of Scripture where we'll see a harmony between them. And it's in Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. Oh, Jesus, if your heart isn't burdened, if your heart isn't broken, I pray that God breaks your heart over this. And this is a counterpart, or the cousin, the, the relative of he's going to rise when transgression has run its course. Romans chapter 20, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. This is an interesting thing, strange thing that God would say. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. And I go say, what? Why in the world would God say, let the one who does wrong still do wrong? That's not something we would, ex- we would expect God to say, repent, right? Why in the world would God say, let the one who is filthy just keep being filthy? Why would God say that? Because... Number one of God's timing. God has a timing for everything that's going to happen throughout all of history. And he's going to follow his time clock. But why? Because at, at that time, whenever it is, whether it's today, tomorrow, or however far away it is, at that time, humani- humanity will have reached the point of no return. They will become so seared against what is wrong that they, they have no propensity even to repent. It is not within them to even repent. And then that explains why when we get to the seven bowls of wrath that are being poured out, that the end of each of those bowls, which is horrendous and horrible, it is stated in there, and they still cursed God and would not repent because they could not. It was over for them. They have willfully hardened their hearts to God to such a degree that there's no turning back for them. And so even God says, listen, you guys are sewer, you've, are, you've had every chance in the world you're going to have. So if you're still doing wrong, just keep doing wrong. It ain't going to make a difference anyway. I mean, I, I read that and go, what in the world? That just sounds like an antithesis to something that God would say. God would say, no, stop sinning and get it right. But not in this case. So Jesus is not going to return until the Antichrist reveals himself. Remember that. We've learned that already. When does Jesus return? After the Antichrist reveals himself. And when does the Antichrist arise? When sin has run its full course. Now turn with me, please, to 2 Thessalonians.
Yes, it is. Thank you very much. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Are you ready? Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So subject matter identified, right? That you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as it is from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. So what's the first thing that's supposed to happen? The apostasy. Real quick, the apostasy is also known as the great falling away. No one knows for certain exactly what that looks like. But there's some pretty good ideas about what the great falling away looks like. Okay? So the first thing that's supposed to happen is the great falling away. So let no one deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So what comes after the apostasy? The man of the Antichrist is revealed. Now that revealed is at the halfway mark of the tribulation period. He's not revealed in the beginning. He's a charismatic leader of the world that everybody loves. But not at the halfway mark. Everything changes. Goes on to say, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's what it's going to look like when he reveals himself for who he really is. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? Now, this is a very interesting subject that we're about to jump into. And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now we're going to come back to that. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness. Did you hear that? The Antichrist will have all the powers of deception for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Are you hearing the correlation of scriptures? Now let's go back to this one spot. Number one, number one let's, real quick, the, the sequence. The sequence is the great falling away, which will happen sometime in that first three and a half year period, maybe even up to right, maybe it's already started. The great falling away has potentially already started. But it's going to definitely take place through the three and a half, first half of the seven year tribulation, because the first three and a half years this Antichrist is going to be in charge. He'll be the, the world ruler. Okay? And there'll be a great falling away. And then the Antichrist will be revealed. That's what will happen next. It'll happen at the middle of the seven-year tribulation in a thing called the abomination of desolation. It gave us a description of what it's going to look like. He's going to set him up himself up in the temple of God as God. Okay? Then... It, there's this thing called the restrainer. In verse 7, the restrainer is taken out of the way, 
And what happens then is the Antichrist resume, um, assumes full demonic power at that point because the restrainer is still keeping him from having full demonic power. He cannot be revealed until the restrainer pulls back. Now, please understand that there's a lot of theological viewpoints about this. Who is the restrainer? It's clear that who these people in Thessalonica, Paul knew that they knew who it was because he said, and you know what restrains him now. So Paul's referring to somebody or something that the people there in Thessalonica had some awareness of. That's what it says. And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Until he is taken out of the way. Who's the restrainer? The theological debate over the centuries about who the restrainer is is ridiculous. Since apparently the Jews there, those that were in Thessalonica, must have had a clue who it was because the, the Apostle Paul doesn't refer to him by name or anything, but refers to him in such a way as to imply familiarity. That's, that's face value interpretation I'm talking about right there. This is an impl implication that who he's writing this letter to is familiar with who the restrainer is. That's important in having some clue. So people have said that the restrainer is the church. So when the church is raptured, then that which restrains is gone. The church is that which is restraining sin. Please, the church is so filled with sin, it's pitiful. So others think, well, it's the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit leaves, then that which restrains is keeping but that stands against the whole pre-trib idea because supposedly even after pre-trib, people are going to be able to be saved. But according to the Bible, you can't be saved unless the Holy Spirit draws you. But if he's gone, <laughs> who's drawing you? Keep your hats on. Then there's this archangel named Michael. How many of you ever thought about Michael potentially being the restrainer? Anybody? Anybody at all in the room? Am I all alone in this? Oh, I told you this morning. <laughs> now, wait a minute. This is important. I got this thing I'm going to have him put up on the wall. This is a segment. I want you to understand just how loosey-goosey the whole idea of who the restrainer is, okay? This is important because it's a theological argument. It still is a theological argument. So this is an article from Cambridge University about the idea of figuring out who the restrainer is. I'm going to have, it was so wordy and filled with uh, education, edumacation, that I thought I better put this up on the wall, okay? Because this is pretty cool. Are you ready? You got it? Is it up there? Oh, good, yes. One of the most enduring exegetical enigmas, I went, pause, train wreck right there. One of the most enduring exegetical enigmas of the Pauline corpus, the Pauline corpus would be the writings of the Apostle Paul, okay? 
of the Pauline corpus is the identification of the restrainer in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 7. Discussion of the issue has reached something of an impasse. With some recent contribution expressing pessimism regarding the whole enterprise, and a few even postulating that the author himself had no particular referent in mind. Yeah, like, the Paul, like Apostle Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Certainly one could be forgiven for concluding that the key to unlocking the secrets, now this is the intelligentsia of, 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 uh, of religious institutions, education institu- institutions, this blanket statement of unlocking the secrets to 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 7 has yet to be and perhaps never will be discovered. Nevertheless, the quest for this elusive key continues. Okay, I'm not sure how any preacher gets on a soapbox and says that they got it figured out when the great theologians of our time say, it's, it's a secret that probably no one will ever really figure out. We'll forgive those who think they have. Now, I was very intrigued by this phrase, enduring exegetical enigma. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. So what is it? Well, exegetical is talking about interpretation. That's exactly what that word means. Enigma means mystery, okay? So in other words, an enduring interpretation mystery. An everlasting mystery of scriptural interpretation. Really, because it's still an argument theologically everywhere. So since the identity of the restrainer is still an enduring mystery of biblical interpretation... The best thing we can do is try to find scriptural harmony at face value. Oh, yeah, I'm about to have some fun. Because there's a reason I've talked to you about this type of hermeneutic from the beginning of our teaching is to interpret scripture with a face value interpretation and finding harmony throughout the Bible. Now, again, Keep in mind that apparently those people must have known who it was. That certainly is the implication. And you know what restrains him. Paul didn't even have to name him. Did you all ever see that? Paul didn't even have to name who it was because they knew. Now that blows my mind just a little bit. I lost hair today over this one. All right, you ready to get a harmonization of Scripture? It's all right. You can say yes. Are you ready to look at it at face value, literal interpretation? Or do you want to dive in between the crevices of the secret to find the golden chalice? I'm, being, I'm, I'm, I'm illustrating with absurdity, yes, because, again, the Apostle Paul implies that the people he's writing to knew the answer. Why would they know the answer? That begs the question. So go with me to Daniel chapter 12. Oh, yeah, the answer's in here. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now, what I'm doing is I'm giving you the best possible solution. 
I didn't say I was giving you the solution because I'm not a Jew from Thessalonica. Okay? I'm a hillbilly from Tennessee. Okay? Barely made it through high school. So, since the Jewish people apparently knew who it was, or at least that's the way it seems. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now, at that time, by the way, the subtitle of this is the time of the end. Is that what your Bible says? Something there. So we know what the context is, right? Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And, and there will be a time of distress such as never has occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Okay, so clearly this is uh, an indication of the very thing that we were reading about in Thessalonians, right? None of us can argue with that. Okay. Now, the interesting thing then is to look at words. The Hebrew word, I'm not going to say, I don't speak Hebrew, but the word arise in Hebrew, here's what it means. To stand up, to cease, or to stop doing. Now, when it says that Michael was, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, notice that the restrainer in 2 Thessalonians isn't removed, he's simply taken out of the way. Yet, many have believed that taken out of the way means actually removed from planet earth. That's not what it said says he's taken, so as if, Michael, help me out for just a minute here. Come here, buddy. Stand right up here. Your sin. Get behind me, Satan. Well, you better come over here in front of the camera. Gotcha, someone, man. All right, so Michael is seated in a place of authority. Michael, throughout the generations of the Jewish people, have been, has been known as the protector of the guardian of the Jew, Jewish people. Throughout Scripture and throughout Jewish uh, history, Michael the angel, the archangel, has been known as the guardian of the Jewish people. Okay? So, he's seated in a place of authority. And he's restraining Satan from being able to do all that Satan wants to do. He's been restraining Satan from destroying God's people throughout history. Okay? And at some point, based on the timing of God, God's going to say, Michael, get up. So Michael's going to get up from his seat, and God's going to take him out of the way. And now guess what this evil person gets to do? Go. <laughs> so I did that imagery because I want you to take it. We're looking at face value to understand. Now I'm not up here saying that it is Michael because I'm, I'm not, I don't know that for sure. It still is, will remain somewhat of an enigma. But if you're going to look at Scripture properly, you can't 
listen, to say that it's the church or that it's the Holy Spirit is complete supposition. It's complete conjecture. It's complete hypothesis. There's no scripture anywhere to prove that to be true. It's not there. However, you can find one scripture about the possibility that it's this archangel Michael. So in Judaic life, you can look up Judaic history. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm well educated in Jewish history, but I'm well versed in Judaic history. And Michael, Michael was the one who fought the warfare when Daniel was looking for prayer, uh, answer to prayer. You can find it in several places of Scripture. You can find it in Jude, that Michael was the guardian of the Jewish people. So if these people in Thessalonica apparently must have known, Paul said, and you know, for them, they would have known more than likely, well, of course, that's Michael. Michael's the one who's restrained evil from destroying us since the beginning of time. And at some point, God's going to say, Michael, your job of standing in the way is about to cease. Remember this word arise in the Hebrew means to stand, to get up out of that seat of authority, to cease or to stop what you're doing. Okay, let's go back, we'll close, we're going to get ready to close up here. Let's go back to Thessalonians. And uh, we'll get ready to close. I'll start with verse 6. And you know that, you know, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. What time? God's time. This is all about God's time. God has a timetable time on this whole thing. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. How can sin reach full maturity? Because he who restrains is now out of the way. When will the Antichrist show up on the scene? When sin has reached its full maturity. When... When will the Antichrist be able to have his full power at the middle pot? That might be actually when, if it's Michael, it might be where Michael stands up right there. When will Jesus come? After the Antichrist reveals himself sometime. Verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay. Now we gotta, we're going to finish with some good news. You ready to finish with some good news? Amen, the brother says. Then that lawlessness one, lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send up on them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false." A number of weeks ago, we showed a video, and a question was, what's that about the deluding influence? I think this gives the best explanation of what that's all about. Sin will reach its full course to such a degree, people will no longer know what's right and wrong. So transgression is going to run its full course. It's going to reach its full maturity. Has it already happened? Holy schmoly. If it hasn't, Michael, it's got to be close. 
Man's con- mankind's conscience is going to be seared. Hello. I think that's already happening or happened. Um, in that environment, the Antichrist comes on the scene. And as he arises, as he rises, the restrainer pulls back. The people who did not believe in God and receive him, when they had a chance, end up following this man of lawlessness and they end up worshiping the Antichrist. They end up taking the mark of the beast. And because they did not receive the truth, God turns them over to a reprobate mind to not even be able to repent. Jesus returns. He destroys the Antichrist, once again eliminating evil from the earth. We've talked about this already. That That's what happened with Noah. He, he started again. He purged the earth of evil. The beautiful thing is, is that God establishes a new heaven, and he establishes a new earth. And those who have believed, those who've received Christ, those who've kept their faith and have, have not taken the mark of the beast and have endured to the end will reign and rule with Christ. In my closing text, I believe I have this on the screen. Do I have Revelation 24 through 6 on the screen? Thank you. This is what we're going to close with. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's known as the thousand-year millennial reign, in case you haven't heard of that. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed, Excuse me, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Who? Those that endure to the end. Amen and amen. And that's what I'm trying to do in the uh, seriousness of what I'm up to is to prepare you for the possibility of having to endure to the end. It's been a burden on my heart for many years, but it's never been a burden that now has become... convinced a conviction of divine influence. I am emotionally impelled to tell you what's on my heart because I'm under conviction of divine influence. My heart is burdened for those who are a part of my flock, of our flock here, the flock of Christ. We all know what I'm talking about when I say that, right? I'm not, this ain't my church, this is Christ's church. But he's given me charge over a portion of his flock and where my heart is broken and burdened is for those who are part of this flock who aren't getting this. 
We've got to go out in the highways and hedges, y'all. And we've got to bring them in. Some of you may be thinking about family members who aren't hearing it. And remember, the, the rapture isn't a heaven or hell issue when it happens. The, the timing of the rapture is not a heaven or hell issue. It's just a timing of the end times issue. And I've said all along that I, sure, I, I pray that pre-trib is right, pre-tribulation. That would be kind of cool. Miss everything. Well, of course, that would be the American way, wouldn't it? <laughs> Must have been American came up with that idea, Chuck. American way. Let's get out of here before the trouble happens. I say that in jest, but what I don't jest about is what if it's not true? What if it's possible that it's not true? Then what? Where will you stand when stuff starts happening that you believe you're not supposed to be here for? What will you believe then? I I profess to you that there's going to be many believers who are going to be here when they think they're not going to be here, and they're going to look around and go, I was told I wasn't supposed to be here when this happened. That must have been a lie. What else have I been told that was a lie? Must be none of it's true. He must be the God. The great falling away. The great apostasy. Michael, I'm really trying to end in a positive way, but I'm having an awful hard time. <laughs> Maybe I ought to just call you blessed and send you home. Let's just do that. Stand with me. Let me pray over you. Father, I, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You have mandated this journey that we're on. You've chosen us to be here, to hear it to speak it, to consume it, to digest it, to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. Reveal it to our hearts. What you want to reveal to us, reveal it to us, Lord. May we know that we do not have to fear, that we do not have to be afraid, for we are more than overcomers. We're more than conquerors. And we choose to if possible, Lord, be the elect, to be the remnant, to be those that enter in the narrow way, to be a part of the few, even as your scripture says, because you said few there be that enter in. Help us to not be in the crowd of many who go to the road of destruction. Help us to find our balance in this, Lord. Help us that everything that we do brings honor and glory to you because that's really what's important is that we are a people who represent and portray your glory because that's what you created us for. So I speak a blessing on each person tonight as we leave here, I guess a little soberly. But Lord, may we know that we're your children and that we are not called, we are not appointed to the wrath of God but we're appointed to the victory that comes through Jesus and the blood of Jesus that has washed us whiter than snow. 
when we receive that guardianship, that protection, that answer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you for putting up with me. I call you blessed.